Turn together to the Word of God, to that chapter that uh, you've been reading. That's Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. I'm greatly honoured to be here, to have the invitation to come and minister in the things of God on this very important occasion. I don't suppose we'll be at the next centenary meeting, but uh, here we have uh, the privilege of looking back, uh, recalling some of those good times that we shared around the Word of God. As you've learned there, I have had uh, the privilege of meeting a few of uh, the leaders of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. It is with great joy I recollect having fellowship with Mr. Fromo. Uh, what a stalwart figure he was in the defense of the Word of God and the study of the prophetic scriptures. A godly man with a remarkable influence. It was always a joy to sit in the meeting and listen to Mr. Fromo expound the Word of God. Uh, I had opportunity to be in his home, take some journeys with him as well. We had him speak in our church over in Northern Ireland. And then there was Mr. Payne, and he was a great encouragement to me as well. Uh, I was down in his church ministering all, all those years ago. Our esteemed secretary and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Tongs, have been long-standing friends, and we have shared many experiences together, including a little time in Israel as well as in other places where we have opened up the Word of God together. It's an opportunity for me to say publicly a big thank you to both of them for their encouragement and friendship over these years. I, I value that friendship very highly, and I thank you always for your encouragement given to me. Can't leave out Mr. Newmark. Uh, likewise, we had him visit in our congregation in Northern Ireland. What a rare man he was, with great skill, opening up the Book of God. And Dr. Brian Green, who would have been here today if the Lord had spared him thus far in his lifetime. But we, he gave invaluable service, and he was always there as an inspiration. And we think... Uh, as we speak of him and his dear wife Pat, of years of witness as well. And together with Mr. Frommo, uh, in early times, we had uh, opportunities to go together to different places. So we look back today with thanksgiving uh, for this testimony. It's a unique testimony because he would go far in the city of London and elsewhere in this country to find a similar body of people with strong conviction who believe as we do, who take the whole counsel of God in regard to prophetic teaching to say we stand by unreservedly what the Bible teaches. We don't um, endeavour to interpret the word uh, of God metaphorically but we want to take the word of God literally as far as we can expounding the things of Christ 
Let's look at this passage together. Maybe read the opening words again. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let's just keep our Bibles open. Maybe you'd put a marker in the chapter as well if you haven't already done so. Because if we make reference to another passage of Scripture and then require to get back here to Matthew 4, we'll be able to do that without any great difficulty. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank Thee for today how we have been able to raise an Ebenezer in thanksgiving because of the strengthening of our testimony and the Amen of Heaven, we believe, which has been upon the ministry of the Word all these years. Oh, we ask Thee still to establish that testimony even further in these days of darkness and apostasy where there's such departure from God in the country that even God's people sometimes are affected by it. But we ask that our hearts might be refreshed in a most unanticipated way, that we may be able to say, God of a truth has come in. The Lord has paid testimony to the witness of his servants who in those days that have now gone from us lifted up on high the banner of Christ and testified without any hesitation to the certainty of those things that are written in the word of God. O Lord, establish our feet in the way of the Lord. Give to us a true heart. Develop in us a, a, a growing love for Christ and for his word. Lord, may we find that as we leave this house, we have been encouraged. We've been encouraged greatly in the ways of the Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about your Bible, the written Word of God. And it is my intention to impress upon you the certainty of those things that are most surely believed among us and to do this I'm taking you to this passage of scripture it's been read many times over been read I haven't a doubt by everyone present now in this congregation on numerous occasions it's been taught in Sunday schools children's meetings these verses surely are among the best known in the gospels Look again at verse 4 of the chapter because I wish to put emphasis upon this part of the narrative. 
And verse 4, I believe it's appropriate for today. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The scene is the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness of Judea. There the Savior has been tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted there for you and for me. He's not there purely on his own account for he has nothing to prove. We've got to remember that about this fourth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. He has nothing to prove in regard uh, to his purity of life, his immaculate holiness. He himself said, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. You've heard those words. They're in the scriptures. John 14, verse 30. Let me do a paraphrase of them. The Savior said, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Nothing at all. There's a double emphasis really uh, to be noticed in those words where the Lord is saying, The devil has nothing on me. And that is something we can say for sure. And that's why I'm emphasizing the Lord entered into this conflict in the wilderness of Judea for you and for me. He took my place, that's what you can say, in facing the adversary. There's a head-to-head confrontation in the chapter between Christ and the devil. Between the one who is the personification of divine wisdom and the one who on the other hand is the sum of infernal wisdom. And let us observe how the Lord enters into the field of conflict. How he gains the victory over the enemy. I said, yes, he, he's taking your place. He wins the victory there for you. And we stand in to the victory that he has won for us. Can I direct your attention then to this fourth verse? Let's see how uh, the battle with the adversary develops. Really, the verses we read today from 1 to 11, there are three pictures in the temptation that unfold for us. And the first concerns the word of God. That's a battleground. When the Christian endeavors to live for the Lord in times like these, the word of God itself is a battleground. And the Christian needs to be aware of that. The devil's given three titles in this portion that we have read. First of all, yes, that name that I have already used, the devil. That's verse 1 and later on in the narrative. Then in verse 3, he's called the tempter. And on down some ways to verse 10, he's referred to as Satan. Satan can change his approach. He never changes his character. He changes the tactics because his intention always is to take down, to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ. You will mark how in verse 4 we start off with reference to the answer. 
I mustn't leave that out. But the answer, this is the first stage of the temptation. The battleground, as I'm saying, is the word of God. And the Lord has given the answer. Let us remember that in every bit of the conflict that we may be aware of, that the answer lies with the Lord. The Lord has given the answer to the devil. And only Christ has the answer. The Christian certainly could never survive the conflict without the enabling grace of God. And it's because he stood in for us, engaged in this uh, tremendous conflict that is described in Matthew 4. Because he took your place and my place there during those dreadful days. It's because of what he has accomplished for us that we rejoice in the victory of Christ. Now this first answer of the Lord in verse 4 directs our attention to the book of Deuteronomy. You see the words there. It's not every Christian who realizes this is a quotation. Many of you do. And you're the better for knowing it. But there are some of the Lord's people who are not aware that these words belong to the Old Testament. They come from the book of Deuteronomy. Our Lord Jesus Christ is quoting scripture. That's the answer that the Lord gives. He uses the word. He does not use weapons that uh, we cannot uh, refer to. But he takes the word of God. And if we turn to that passage, it's Deuteronomy chapter 8. This 8th chapter is well worth uh, much more attention than we can give to it just now. But we'll take uh, verse 3. And I'm looking as I say that at verse 2 because the Lord refers there to the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. The book of Deuteronomy brings that 40 year period to a close. Uh, the entire encampment of the tribes of Israel is yonder on the far side of the Jordan in the plains of Moab. And uh, it is the purpose of Moses in his final words of exhortation to the nation uh, to uh, secure the future for them to give them a proper foundation to call them to account to get them to stand four square on the testimony of scripture and so he says here verse 2 thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years for us today we're looking back as best we can over the period of a hundred years. And we can see the, God, the hand of God in giving us uh, stalwarts, men of conviction, men who knew what they believed, uh, knew how to expound the word of God in that regard. But here in the case of Israel, it's 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. So there are testing times for the Christian. And there isn't one here, I'm assured, 
Not one child of God in this building today, but you've had to pass through the valley of affliction. The Lord uh, will test us even when we walk in that way. And verse 3 continues, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. There were times when they did have hunger in the wilderness, but then there's this brighter side to it. He fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. That he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So the manna here, which is uh, God's provision for Israel in the wilderness, the manna is likened uh, to the word of God, the scriptures uh, themselves. You can think of all that the manna meant, that precious heaven-sent life-giving supply, sent down supernaturally by God. Through the period of 40 years in the wilderness, uh, the manna was not a natural product. There have been writers commenting on scripture who have sought to explain away the supernatural element in the Bible. You You can't take God out of the Bible. And when you look at the history of Israel, even taking the 40 years, you can see the mighty hand of God employed in conducting them along the way and preserving them, not only from the enemy, but also from hunger and suffering and death. And here we have information about the manna. The manna is not a natural product. The critics have always endeavoured to find a natural explanation for the miracles. So as, whether they intended it or not, some of them probably did intend it, so as to take away from the authority of Scripture. And the manner, uh, likewise, has been explained by some as a product growing on certain trees in the wilderness. I would like to take those people to the wilderness and, and ask them to find a tree or two with something even remotely like the manna. No such thing. Or others who have put forward the point, oh, along the seashore there's a lot of vegetation and uh, a rare product indeed that produced uh, this uh, amazing uh, food that was provided for the people in Israel that is all nonsense if you look at uh, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 you see two things among others that I want to bring to your notice in this regard in referring to the manna the Holy Spirit of God goes on to say which thou knewest not and neither did thy fathers know. It's plain enough. Uh, the people in Israel didn't know of anything that uh, could be likened to the manna. Nor did the fathers in Israel, going back to earlier times, to the patriarchs themselves, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who encamped in the same wilderness. 
Oh no, the manna was not a natural product. It was supernaturally given. And when we draw a comparison between the manna of God's provision for the physical needs of Israel in the wilderness and the word of God which is to be likened to the heavenly manna, we can say also of this word, it's not a natural product. Second Peter 1 and 21. You may know the verse. Second Peter 1 and 21 says prophecy in old time came not by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this is an extraordinary book. This is a book that has come from God. And therefore, like the forefathers in the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, we need to give um, more time to the searching of the Scriptures. I'd like to invite you, if you're a Christian, to spend time that you can allocate definitely to the Word of God. Time's moving on for us all. Here, we've spoken today about a hundred years. But even in your lifetime, you're brought to see that you've only a little while here in which to labor for God and give your time. The time is short, the Bible says. Again, the scripture says, mentioning time, redeem the time. And it's important that you give your time to the Lord. Every Christian should take time with the scriptures. I wish I could talk to you personally about it. But it may be that you're saying, yes, I'm a Christian. But are you, are you giving enough time to the word of God? Have you managed to get alone in this busy world? Have you managed to get alone with God and with the book? After all, that's what the Savior is teaching in Matthew 6. The word closet is used as a secret place, so to speak. Get in there, close the door, get alone with God. Every Christian needs to take time to get alone with God. Recognize this is not a natural product. It's not the book that men produce, so to speak. This word is prompted by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And this is the chapter, 2 Peter 1, that speaks to us of the prophetic scriptures. We have a more sure word of prophecy. That's verse 19. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed is unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. This word of prophecy, although there are many Christians who stay away from the prophetic word, this is called here a sure word, a more sure word of prophecy. And you do well to take heed to it. Some Christian people of repute including ministers too have advised young people stay away from prophecy oh, don't, don't be getting into revelation and all that stuff that's just what they would say read the gospels study the book of Acts even the epistles too but keep away from prophecy don't get into those things that's, that's not 
what the Word of God teaches. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Listen to the next bit. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. Those Christians, I've called them Christians of repute in the manner of speaking they are. But they're saying, stay away from the prophetic scriptures. Don't in any way enter into that study to suggest you'll not do well by doing that. That's just the opposite. That's the opposite of what the Lord says here. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. So the Lord encourages you to include in your study of Scripture the prophetic word as well, the more sure word of prophecy. The forefathers in SGAT were men of strong conviction. And where necessary, they would have contended for a single word in the chapter or in the verse. And they have shown um, their dedication uh, to the testimony by maintaining that kind of witness. They were not hesitant about lifting high the lamp of prophetic witness that uh, other Christians might come to be aware of uh, the downgrade in these times. But I must hasten on. There's so much to be said here, but you'll, you'll see in Matthew 4 and 4 how our Lord Jesus Christ goes a little further. And he's saying here, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Lord pinpoints the single word. He's saying here, every word, every word in the Bible has come from God. Mr. Fromo and others uh, like him would have spent a great deal of time with the Bible knowing that every word in Scripture is important. That's, that's our position too. And we say the Bible is inspired of God. And we talk about the inspiration of Holy Scripture. That belief in the inspiration of the Word of God leads us to examine the chapter in as much detail as we can. And to see the uh, relationship of every word in the verse where it's found. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And then notice this characteristic of the Word of God. It's called here the Word of God's Mouth. The founding fathers of SGAT had a high view of inspiration. And we have as well. We, we not only say this is the inspired volume. This is not a natural product. This word has come from God. And the men who were employed to write the texts of Scripture were moved by the Holy Ghost. All that gives distinctiveness to the book of God. But then, I want you to see how our Lord Jesus Christ uh, increases the degree of reverence that we have for the Scriptures by saying, this word has come from the mouth of God. If you take your own family, 
And what um, your grandmother or your grandfather used to say, you can recall statements yet. And you're able to say, I put special value on them because I was there at their bedside. And, and from their mouth, from their own mouth, I heard about the Saviour, I heard about the Lord. But this raises us onto higher ground indeed. How the word of God comes to us as from God's mouth. I know times of the essence. I, I think it would be very helpful for us just to see him. If we were to turn over to Job... Let's take a few references to the mouth of God. I have done this, and it's a very fascinating and rewarding study to take to Scripture, to look at um, the Word of God in this connection. The Word that has come from the mouth of God. You may be able to recall some verses yourself where those very words occur, the mouth of God. The higher critics came... Uh, to put a question mark over the Bible and over the book of Deuteronomy in particular. But our Lord singles out the book of Deuteronomy so that we can see how important Scripture is. Even there the testimony is this book has come from the mouth of God. In Job 23... Job is... Reckoned to be perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. You may go back to the days of Moses to think about the origin and time of this book. And here is Job speaking here in the book of Job, chapter 23. And um, he's saying in verse 11, My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. Now the word lips is an equivalent of God's mouth. And Job is showing his esteem for the word of God. It's the commandment of his lips. You may refer to the book as the Bible, rightly so. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I want to elevate this book in your thinking. I want you to know when next you're reading a chapter or getting through the verse in the chapter, I want you to think, this is the word that has come from his lips. And then we go a little further in the verse. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What the manna was uh, to the body back there in those travels in the wilderness. So the heavenly manna is uh, for the believer. He's nourished by the word of God. It's the word of God's mouth. Doesn't that make you think more particularly of the importance of scripture? Let's take another reference. And we have in mind now uh, the book of Hosea chapter 6 you don't have to turn up the place if it's inconvenient because I'll read it for you 
Uh, there's a help when you look at the verse yourself. But this is what we read. Hosea chapter 6 verse 5. What's this about this particular verse? It's about the ministry of the prophets. The prophets of the Old Testament. They're calling from God. The distinctiveness of their office. How God commissioned them. Gave them words from heaven. Ah, This is how it's put in Hosea 6 verse 5. Therefore have I hewed them. Speaking of disobedient Israel. I have hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. The words of God's mouth. The last few days I made a particular study in the book of Isaiah. Searching through those chapters for references to the mouth of God. You might like to begin on such a venture. I want you to turn to Isaiah 55 verse 11. Because I think a lot of people uh, know this verse so well. Isaiah 55 and verse 11. And if you don't know the verse, I suggest that from today onwards you make it a special verse in your own thoughts. Make it a memory verse. So shall my word be. This is a kind of guarantee that God puts upon his precious word never to let that word fall to the ground. But always to use that word. God has put himself under obligation to use his word to see to uh, the word as it is preached or communicated in some way to see to the, the vital message in that word. He says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. We're to look at the prophet certainly. God's instrument in giving us the scriptures. But a way, way, way beyond that. There is a word that has come to you and to me from the mouth of God. And in the first great contest that took place in the wilderness. When the tempter came to the Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ shows that every word, and he's referring to the Old Testament, he's certainly referring to Deuteronomy, here is a word that has come from the mouth of God. There's nothing that will give your Bible greater authority than that. This is the word from God's mouth. And there are other verses, and I won't enlarge on it, I'm just uh, thinking now about the great judgment day. Isaiah 45, verse 23. And these words are quoted in Romans 14. As I live, the Lord said, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess. That scripture in Romans 14 is brought from... Uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. It's worded like this. I have sworn by myself the oath of God to establish the certainty of this word. The oath of God is put upon the text of Scripture. 
I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. And, and that in simple terms just means there is a judgment day. In Romans, uh, this statement is added to the quotation that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. See, that is a comment of the Holy Spirit of God upon this verse from the book of Isaiah. And God has sworn to establish the certainty of the great judgment day. A judgment day for the believer. We may think of rewards that are given in that day. It may be a bad day for the backslider if he has wasted his years in folly has not walked with God but has run after the ways of the world it's going to be a bad day to stand before the judgment seat of Christ we owe so much to him and we now know this word that we have is the word from his mouth that's Isaiah that's one of the scriptures again in Isaiah which relates to the word of his mouth I find that fascinating to look into those things in the scriptures you'll find elsewhere in the book of Isaiah reference to the prophetic utterances that uh, God has made how from the beginning they went forth out of my mouth he says and I showed them I did them suddenly they came to pass the words of God's mouth as we come to a close today we want to think of the occasion Itself, Our Lord answered the devil with scripture. We have to see that our solid ground of defense is what the Bible says, what God says in his word. The Lord could have used some other option. After all, he is the son of God and God the son when he faces the tempter. He could have answered spontaneously right there on the spot. But he chose to give a quotation from the scripture. Why? Because as I put the point today, he's taken your place there. And mine in the battle with the enemy. And therefore, he doesn't use uh, devices that are open to him. That we ourselves could not access. So let us say the Lord could have fired back an answer to the devil of his own accord without quoting scripture. But he refers to the word of God as the instrument of victory available to you. It's the weapon you can employ. And he will not leave aside the sword of the spirit throughout this narrative of the temptation. And then I thought, well the Lord could have silenced the devil with one stroke of omnipotent power that day. But he did not. He quoted the scriptures. He gave the example to the believer. He could have let loose the thunderbolts of heaven on the devil and dismissed him in a moment. But he chose not to do so. He used the instrument of victory available to you. He took the word of God itself. Don't you think today as we close, as you look at your own life, your Christian, 
Have you gone away from the Lord? Are you as close to the Lord as you desire? Are you spending as much time with God's word as you should? Lots of Christians have said, Oh, we need to give more time to the word of God. And we have time for this and this and this and this. Oh, ever so many, ever so many things. But do you know, if we, we've mentioned the forefathers today, if we go back and talk about them, they gave time. They set aside perhaps a, a night in the week or an hour in the week when they said, that's God's time. That's Bible time. Have you been missing that? It is commanded by the Lord. He spoke about the closet. Go in there. Close the door. The inference is shut the world out. The devil does everything to engage your attention, to keep you busy, to keep you occupied. So you don't have time for the Lord and his word. And it would be a sad thing altogether if we just finished the meeting and there wasn't a moment for the Christian to think, about doing something more for the Saviour. Are you seeking to live for Him? Have you ever told anyone in your whole life that you're a Christian? Have you ever borne witness to Christ? Have we given enough time to the Word of God? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's Colossians 3 and 16. Now that's a command of the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But many a Christian would have to say, I'm afraid the word of God doesn't dwell in me richly. For I don't know my Bible as well as I should. And I, I pray God that one result of this good service today that we have had, one result will be that you'll give more time to the Lord, more time to his precious word. Amen.